This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Yoga Australia, registering teachers and training courses to ensure that everyone in Australia has access to quality yoga teachers. Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're doing well today. I'm doing okay myself. And I'm excited about today's episode. Joe and I were recently invited to participate in an accessible yoga community check-in by its founder, Jivana Heyman. And included in that discussion was this episode's guests, Rhea Terrazona. Rhea is a psychologist, yoga teacher, studio manager, and she lives in Manila in the Philippines. During that conversation, I was really struck by the issues that they're experiencing there and the relative privilege we have here in Australia, despite the challenges we're all facing right now. Rhea had some really interesting insights about the current situation, so Joe and I were super keen to speak with her for the podcast. Before we start with our conversation though, I wanted to let you know about the new online course that Joe and I have just launched. The course is called Nurturing Yoga and Pilates and it contains a combination of Pilates movements and mobility props like the foam roller and peanut with a yogic sensibility and a focus on breath and sensory awareness. This course is all about tuning into your individual needs and working towards balance, enhanced core strength and pelvic floor awareness. The course is made up of five videos with over 90 minutes of content and is great value at only $10. To find it, just go to gardenofyoga.com.au slash learn and I'll leave a link in our show notes. All right, that's enough talking from me. Let's get into our conversation with Rhea Terrazona. All right, Rhea, thank you so much for catching up with us today, all the way over in the Philippines in Manila. Could we start with you just telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up? Thanks for having me. It's my first time to really join in on a podcast, so it's quite an interesting experience. (laughs) So my name is Rhea. I'm a yoga facilitator and educator here in Manila. I'm also a licensed psychologist, so I do work in a clinical context quite a bit. Like many Filipino families, I grew up with extended family. So my grandparents, my uncles and aunties and cousins were always part of the picture. So I think that shaped a lot of how I am as a human being. My dad left for the U.S. when I was about four years old or so. And it was in the hopes of bringing the family to the U.S. and creating a life over there. But things didn't really work out so well. So I did grow up here uh, with my mom and my grandparents. I would say that growing up, I lived a rather sheltered life, mainly because for one, I'm quite introverted and uh, a little shy. So it takes a while for me to get to know people. And also, I grew up in a rather middle class environment and, you know, studied in a private school, which which is the the typical norm here in the Philippines, because our public school system isn't really well established and well resourced. So there was really not a lot of opportunity for me to become aware of you know, the broader world out there, how much disparity and inequity there was in society. So that's come along as I got older and and evolved as a human. Do you think that's also come along as the internet has evolved and suddenly we are more able to connect with people all over the world where I know when I was growing up as a kid, that just wasn't something that was possible? Oh, yes, for sure. Um, The um, availability of technology and the internet, especially social media, has has changed my understanding of, you know, how things are in my country. And this is why I'm able to say I became more aware of the inequity that happens in society. And also, I have to look at the other side. I became more aware of what my country has, what our people as Filipinos are able to, to bring into the world. And these were things that I never really was curious about in the beginning because there was no access to this information or anything about that, right? So being able to see things from other perspectives and and experiencing things through a broader world via the internet has, has changed that experience for me. And how did you discover yoga? 
Okay, yoga. That's a very interesting um, question. I remember, <laughs> I remember many years ago when I was still um, a lecturer of psychology in a local university here in Manila. One of my mentors had invited me to to think about dance or movement as a resource during a particularly difficult time in my life and. At that time, I was like, there's no way I'm going to dance or move my body as a way to, you know, deal with my emotions. It didn't make sense to me because I tend to be a very cognitive, I approach things cognitively. But towards the end of, I think it was 2010, I said, there were two things I wanted to do for the new year. And it was to learn French and to do yoga. I never did learn French, (laughs) (laughs) but I quickly fell in love with the practice of of yoga. And And I think it was very serendipitous that the first class that I had taken was a yin yoga practice because it was it's a slower practice. It was a very manageable experience for me. For someone who never really did any sports or physical activity, it wasn't such a daunting experience. So I think if I had stepped into a hot yoga room right away, maybe my relationship with yoga would have been very different. <laughs> like you might have just been, that's not for me, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, hot yoga is really, I mean, um, I teach in a yoga studio that was built upon the hot yoga sequence. So that that kind of would have intimidated me a lot. <laughs> I think the interesting thing about yin as well, because it has that connection with Buddhist philosophy and meditation, it is a very introspective practice and there is a lot of space in that practice to explore how the mind works as well as the body. That's true. That's true. And like I said, being someone who really approached things rather intellectually or from a cognitive point of view, being able to notice my mind work and and get a get a feel of that and then move into the body uh, was was a, a resource for me. It gave me um, manageable tools to work with rather than just jumping straight into a physical connection. And so were there any really key teachers along the way that helped you fall in love with this practice and really embrace it? I've been so lucky to have um, really great teachers come my way. I think when I started yoga, there were some local teachers who were just holding it, holding classes from their homes. So half the time it was just like me in class and they'd still go ahead and give me a class. So I wasn't wasn't really paying for one-on-ones or private classes, but I did get it at that rate, which was very beneficial for me. So they definitely helped shape my experience of yoga. But yeah, I've studied with so many teachers over time and they've all brought very important learning opportunities for me. But I think one that really stands out is my teacher. Her name is Leslie Kazadi. She's from the U.S. And she's a crucial figure because from the onset of my journey as a yoga teacher, I was already a psychologist at that time. And so I knew that I wanted to take this in a more therapeutic lens and uh, working with mental health populations or different abled and aging populations. So studying with her really gave me context for my uh, teaching and and my personal growth and experience. Uh, she also calls herself like a prop wizard and and that's yeah. one of the <laughs> one of the things I loved about her teaching style. It it made yoga not just it made it very accessible and uh, really showed how people can get into this no matter what size you are no matter what shape you are no matter what age so that was really great and and she's hilarious <laughs> so I liked her her sense of humor and her her candor with regards to movement another important teacher that really influenced my practice is from the Art of Motion Academy she her name's Mumu she's actually based in Australia I believe so she's a really great one and and the slings myofascial training is something that I've really gravitated to lately. This might be rewinding a little bit, but what Mm -hmm. drew you to study psychology? 
it's funny you ask that because when I wanted to go into university, I said I wanted to go into nursing. And my grandfather was adamant that, you know, if I go into a medical profession, it should be as a doctor. So I thought, okay, I'll just be a, a psychiatrist instead. But when I went to college, I fell into a different degree program. I took, it's called Family Life and Child Development. And Soon enough, I found myself teaching preschoolers and I decided not to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) yeah, but uh, somewhere down the line, I needed or I decided to take a master's degree program. And uh, my initial desire was into creative writing, but I didn't qualify for that program. So I decided to enroll in clinical psychology instead. So I guess that kind of took me full circle to my original desire of being in a, at least an allied medical profession. So I'm really interested because I think definitely in teaching yoga in an accessible way that calls upon a lot of creativity. Is that the same now as a psychologist? Do you find that you really have to draw on that innate creativity to be with someone and to facilitate their experience? I think more than the psychology background, what's really helped me find that sense of creativity and maybe even language for teaching was my experience as a preschool teacher. Because, you know, when you're teaching three, four, five-year-olds, you really have to be able to get an idea across in an accessible way that makes sense to to them. And because their bodies are very different from an adult body, you have to figure out how to move in certain ways. So that's really, I think, what has given me the skills as a, a yoga teacher. And so I'd love to hear about like what the general yoga community and scene in the Philippines is like right now. It sounds like when you first started learning, it was very local and people kind of sharing from their own homes. And comparing that to Melbourne, it seems like there's a lot more of a commercial focus with big studios and big classes. Is that also similar to how things have evolved in Manila? Oh, yes, for sure. It's evolved that way. Pre-pandemic, that is. (laughs) Now we're we're all online. Yeah, but it started out with people teaching from homes and it wasn't very popular until about 2012 or 2011 something like that prior to that there was very little available resources for yoga here they were all very private very they're like little cliques going around in homes and nobody really talked much about it at least not in my circles I might have been missing it but I never uh, knew about it then uh, about Nine or so years ago, there was a boom of yoga studios that suddenly started coming out and and establishing bigger yoga communities. So there is that commercial vibe to it. And it's a very big community at this day and age. There are a lot of yoga teachers also. And many teacher training programs have been done here in the Philippines, both by local and foreign teachers. So that's really helped grow the yoga community compared to when I had first started. And I know you're really passionate about trauma-informed and body-positive and accessible yoga. Are there Mm -hmm. a lot of other teachers in the Philippines working in this field? It's a growing population. There still is a bigger group of people who are working more on the fitness side or the asana side of the practice. But I feel that because we are seeing now the value of of yoga and how it really is for everybody, there are more teachers who are more aware of making this practice more available for the broader population. But I think one of the challenges that we have here here is first, yoga is quite expensive, so not everybody can have access to it. And second, there still is a lot of misunderstanding uh, towards the practice. For example, I grew up in a Christian school and the practice of yoga is really frowned upon and, and meditation. It's not something that is encouraged. So there are those kinds of conflicts or, or misunderstandings that still exist. But there are many 
allied medical professionals now who have discovered yoga. So whether they're osteopaths, uh, occupational therapists, physical therapists, psychologists like myself, we've started creating more of um, access and, and understanding of yoga for this different populations. One other challenge I personally find here in Manila is the very diverse understanding or definition of what accessible yoga is. Because here, I think a lot of people use the word accessible to mean easy or beginner friendly. And it's not always in that broad context of, you know, making yoga available or accessible for people who are differently bodied who have different shapes, who, who might not have as easy an access to something that we take for granted. So that's something that I think a number of us are, are trying to work towards changing and hopefully we gain traction in that part of this practice. Have you noticed that shifted much since everything is online now? And I know that your studio is actually offering quite a lot of free classes and free resources for people. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of who's attending your sessions and whether maybe it is opening it up to a bit of a broader community because now it's not the cost barrier of coming to a class or are the people who can't afford to come to class also not able to access the internet and have the time to practice yoga in their homes? Definitely going online has shifted that that accessibility towards yoga. And we did have an opportunity to reach out to people who otherwise will not have access to the studio, whether financially or just geographically. The Philippines has about 7,107 islands. Um, and so only the big cities have really established yoga communities, at least yoga studios. Let me rephrase that. I know there are smaller communities in the provinces, but because there are no teachers in those areas, then many people are not able to access yoga. So through our online offerings, it definitely has changed. And I do want to share that prior to us going online and offering these free classes or free resources, we already were offering a free one-week trial for anyone who wanted to try yoga because in our studio, we really valued this idea of making yoga uh, accessible to people because our vision is to really help transform lives one practices at a time. So if you have no access to it, how can you really discover it? And because of the financial costs, offering a free trial gave people the opportunity to gain a, to, to, to gain a feel of it first before investing in a package because you know they really are we really have to think about where to allocate our funds because you know if you just to share I don't know if you're aware but our minimum wage for example here in the Philippines is around 17 Australian dollars a day not an hour so that really is not a lot and so, right? Yeah. So, of course, that varies over uh, professions and ranks and, you know, positions. But if we wanted to really look at the broad picture, people who, for example, work in hospitality or those kinds of rank and file positions, then this is something they really can access. So we were really making an effort to allow people or to, to provide an opportunity to, for people to, to step on a mat and experience it. So yeah, going back to your question, the online uh, platform has really given us that opportunity to share with with people and we did receive a lot of feedback from people saying that you know they were besides being very grateful for the opportunity that they were able to see something that they had not seen before and at a time when we really need these practices more than ever with so much uncertainty and so much stress mm -hmm. in the world that's true i really like love what you're doing with your studio and going to the lengths that you do to try and make yoga accessible to everyone. And my next question is about making a living as a yoga teacher, because I could imagine it actually puts 
the studios and the teachers in a bit of a challenging position where when you are offering a lot of free classes, how does the teacher get paid? And if the minimum wage is really low, does that also apply to yoga teachers or is it kind of a little bit more of a, because they're in demand, yoga teachers can ask for a bit more than the minimum Although the government mandated minimum wage is about 537 pesos, which is about $17 a day, many professions such as the yoga profession or perhaps uh, those working in certain fields do get paid a little more than that. So when we talk about the minimum daily wage, this is usually for people who work in a fast food chain or daily wage earners or I think you call them casuals over there. Yeah. Uh, I remember you yes. about the daily wage culture in the Philippines where like you don't yeah. even have stability from one day to the next whether you're even going to make that minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting structure. It's not as there's really little system or, or safety net for people who are working on those kinds of positions. But yeah, in the the yoga teachers, for example, we are seen as contract workers. So we do get paid a little bit better than than the minimum wage. But of course, now that nobody is able to teach, at least in a studio, that changes the the way teachers are being paid and the way the studios are being run and and all that. So it's 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 very uncertain at this time. So a lot of us yoga teachers have had to be creative in figuring out what to do next. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I have to say I've been lucky because I do work with a studio. So there's a little more structure in that. But if I were a freelance teacher who was just doing my own thing and just popping into, you know, different studios or perhaps doing private classes, that might be more challenging. And would you like to share some of the creative approaches that teachers in the Philippines have come up with? In response to this? Yeah, yeah. What are people doing now? Well, for sure. For sure. Everybody did the online approach. Because really, that's the only thing we have access to at the moment. We've been on lockdown for, I think it's like 34 days now. And we're not even allowed outside the house to exercise. So there's really little things that we can do. Some people have jumped on to things like Patreon or, or those kinds of platforms to make ends meet or to provide classes and be paid in a certain way. We've also had some support from, you know, local businesses who sponsor certain classes. So that's been helpful. But in terms of having to be creative or creating new platforms, that's that's still something we're trying to figure out. And I think I had shared this with you, Joe, that um, one of our challenges here in terms of jumping onto the online platform is our internet connection isn't always the most reliable. So that makes it quite difficult for us to to upload things like pre-recorded content and and run certain online programs. And you also shared something with me, which I thought was really interesting, that the Philippines is the most social media engaged (laughs) per capita of any country. That is true. I remember when I was doing my thesis, my master's thesis many years ago, and that was, we were just third back then, (laughs) but now we're first. (laughs) Yeah, so the social media accessibility has really changed the dynamic of the community in the Philippines uh, because for one information became really available for everybody but it also became a venue for misinformation which I think is true in any part of the world but it's influenced let's say political structures there are a lot of trolls as they're called online who really fight for certain perspectives in government and it's 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 interesting to watch it but it can be quite consuming 
Hello, Ran here to talk about our Patreon page. Patreon is a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. Higher tiers get access to extra special content as well as a listing on our website and a shout out on the podcast. We use these funds to transcribe our favourite episodes so they're accessible to the hearing impaired or just anyone who would prefer to read our interviews. You can check them out on our website at podcast.flowartist.com. We've also just uploaded the first hour of an online super deluxe self-massage workshop that Joe facilitated recently. If you enjoy our conversations with amazing teachers, we would love your support. Just go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast. All right, that's more than enough from me. Let's get back to our conversation with Rhea. What exactly is the government doing there to help with uh, the whole COVID-19 situation? I'd like to believe they're trying to do the best that they can, knowing what they know. But there's a lot of bureaucracy that happens and directions that might not be very unified. In terms of providing, they're really trying to take care of the most vulnerable sectors of the country. So these were the daily wage earners who are on a no work, no pay kind of setup. So they're trying to provide for that. But in terms of the working class, I feel there's no clear direction. For example, there are no subsidies or stimulus packages that are being given. And uh, there's also very little information about where to go next or how we're going to weather this economic disruption. Tax breaks have not been identified. And and so it's uncertain. But I think they're trying their best. I'd like to believe that. I don't know, in a previous conversation, you mentioned that the health system was already Mm -hmm. quite minimal in the Philippines. Has that changed at all? Has there been more resources put into the health system? I think the private sector is really working hard to support the health systems. They're providing a lot of um, protective equipment and trying to really take care of the frontliners. But yeah, our healthcare system from the onset has has been lacking. We don't have a a very well-funded and resourced healthcare system like Medicare or something like that. So if you get sick in the Philippines, it's very expensive. And, and there, hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of direction by the government other than our, we do have, the, it's called the Phil Health System. They do cover a certain percentage of your costs should you be um, affected by covid but so there's still a lot of private sector support rather than government support in the meantime, at least from my point of view. So this is leading in a slightly different direction, but still, I think, tapping into a lot of the uncertainty and a lot of the stress that everyone is feeling right now. You've mentioned that emotional eating has been a challenge for you throughout your life. Would you like to speak about it and how social isolation might be having an effect? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. Uh, I think uh, I think that one of the things that really yoga has given me is a better more than my psychology work. I have to say, uh, yoga and meditate mindfulness has really given me a better understanding of why I eat and the way I eat. See, before before yoga, food was what I turned to for support and comfort, and like. Times like this, which are very stressful, uh, very unsettled. It's the only thing, eating or food is the only thing you really have a lot of control over. And in an emotional situation, that's really what we're looking for, a sense of control and stability, isn't it? Right. So we look for a resource that tends to give us that. But I think that emotional eating or Eating during stress helps us tap into a more calm space. Like it shifts us to to parasympathetic nervous system mode rather than just being on high alert every time. But what really is important is recognizing 
why you're eating when you're eating. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a chocolate bar when you're feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, I need something to soothe me and, and help me calm down a little bit or, you know, prepare a meal that's very healthy or, or whatnot. Right. It's, it's something that you can control. So having that sense of control is important in this very unstable situation but I think what's important is just being aware of it and and also giving yourself permission to have that treat but without saying I really need it because I feel bad period it's it's finding that balance We've definitely been eating more chocolate than usual (laughs) and like consciously nurturing ourselves. And also because we've had more time to cook food, Uh we've been making much more elaborate meals and that has felt really helpful, like Mm. taking good care of ourselves by eating treats and cooking healthy food. And I know that I think we're definitely more on the indulgent end of the spectrum. But (laughs) I've been there too. (laughs) (laughs) I know that some people can respond to these types of stressful situations with food as like really going in the other direction and being like really focused on super clean eating, that's in inverted commas, and restricting eating, which can also be Mm. a way of kind of finding that control in these really uncertain times and uncertain situations. So Uh do you have any more advice for people about navigating their relationship with food at times like this? I, I like how you bring that up because I did think of that and I just, you know, it slipped my mind uh, earlier when I was talking. But yeah, it's really understanding your relationship with food that is key to really differentiating, you know, when it's emotional eating or just eating to fill a void rather than, okay, I'm consciously recognizing that I'm feeling stressed out and I just need a pause. I think my advice at this time is really just to give yourself permission to to feel, to feel that things are not okay and that it is a hard time and that maybe this is what I need at this very moment. Because like I said, food is this resource that we have, you know, a lot of agency over and control over, whether it's taking a little more or not taking at all. But yeah, I think it's, it's really defining that relationship without overthinking it and and giving yourself, like I said, this permission to just be in a space where you need something and food might be an answer to that in the meantime. Practicing mindfulness and, and really recognizing how you're feeling, what's going on for you is, is a skill that can help in terms of really becoming more aware of this relationship with food. Something that we've been doing as well now that we have more time but has actually felt really helpful is we've been consciously not eating as many meals in front of the TV Mm. and taking our food to the garden or just away from a screen because it's really easy to get into that habit as well. And then if what (laughs) you're seeing on the screen is actually quite stressful or just pulling your attention completely away from what you're doing because you're immersed in what you're looking at rather than what you're putting in your mouth it's easy mm-hmm. to just hoe through that big bowl of whatever you made and not uh-huh. <laughs> that you finish this whole bag of crisps or yeah. this whole bag of- <laughs> Where'd that go? Where'd that go? oh yeah yeah so I try not to have a bag of like a bag of popcorn while watching a movie so much anymore because it really does take you into that mindless state of of eating right and it it just feels good and then whether you're watching something very nice or or on the other hand something that's stressful it's just having that physical movement I guess and, and action of eating and you're really not paying attention to it. Something else that I've noticed online in form of memes and also that I've noticed in myself I'm going to call it toxic productivity So Mm -hmm. I've seen memes that say things like, if you haven't used this time to get fit and learn a language and launch a side hustle, you never really lacked the time, just the motivation. And I've noticed that we can get into kind of work phases where we actually make ourselves really busy all day, every day, when 
While it can feel really good to be productive and to be creative, often those are the days where we've had a lot of trouble sleeping or you feel like everything is urgent when it actually Mm -hmm. isn't. So I'd love your point of view on how to navigate work and productivity and to find balance with that as well. Yeah, I think I've found myself also in that that space of you know berating myself for that quote-unquote lacking motivation (laughs) it's taken quite a bit for me to find my footing after this whole situation to be honest so I did spend the first 20 days or so really just wallowing in this place other than teaching the classes of course but it's like I just didn't have the energy to do anything so when I'd see those memes online I'd feel a little a little something in it, like a contraction in my body that oh, I'm so lazy, I'm so useless, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I started just reflecting and, and recognizing that it is a stressful time. And right now I'm in, like many people in the world, we're in survival mode and you just have to give yourself permission to be where you are for that moment. And after giving myself some time with that, I did find a little more motivation to to get things going. So uh, I think it's very important for us to not feel pressured to get to work right away. And yes, creativity and productivity are important factors that might also give us a sense of control, but it also might be taking us away from paying attention to what we really need to be paying attention at the moment. As you said, maybe we're working up ourselves Uh, we're getting ourselves so busy so that, you know, we don't pay attention to what we're feeling anymore. And we just keep on going and and measuring our self-worth based on our output rather than what really counts. I think as well for a lot of people, if you are really busy in your work life and in your personal life before all of this happens, everything's on pause, but your brain just wants to keep going at that pace because that's habitual. And this can be a time to actually really look into that and to look at how much of that busyness is actually serving you and is actually productive and is actually necessary and how much of it is just habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I do know that some people, or uh, myself included, I really liked being out and being involved in things and getting things done and and making sure everything is running smoothly. And all of a sudden, I have no studio to manage, no people to work with. And and I'm just left with, okay, I don't even have to manage my household. (laughs) So what am I going to (laughs) do? Right? So, So yeah, it can be quite a disconcerting feeling for someone who's so used to being busy. So it's hard to be on pause. But I also have to say, I do like being on pause quite a bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it was easier for me to to respond uh, to, to this. But as an example, my mother, who I do live with, as many Filipino families do, um, she has been climbing the walls from day two of this quarantine, but she really likes being busy. So she's always like puttering around the house and trying to find something else to do. Then finally, she started slowing down and she started sleeping more. And hopefully that gives her an opportunity to see things differently. Our house has never been cleaner as (laughs) it is at this time. Uh, My house is still not clean. (laughs) (laughs) My room, at least. No, I did. I did have to rearrange quite a bit of it because, you know, I have to face reality now. And now that I have a little more motivation to to get things done, I, I have to face reality that, you know, at least for the next few weeks or maybe even months, my studio is not going to open. So I might have to be teaching more from home. So I started creating a cleaner space to, to teach from and really dedicating a practice space for myself rather than just doing it wherever. So that's the most cleaning up that's been done in my part of the house. <laughs> I think it's it's actually something my brain does to help me deal with stressful situations. Like I don't actually like cleaning, but I really like <laughs> rearranging furniture and redesigning spaces. So, yeah, it's it's oh, kind that... of convenient. <laughs> uh-huh. 
your space. I mean, I do see your teaching space and your practice space and your online classes, and it's it's quite lovely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Those boxes <laughs> get moved around a couple of times a day. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just um, remembered some. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So um, maybe we'll see some of them in your next class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was repotting a flat today. I was like, thinking, oh, yeah, this will look good on a video. It's like nice and big. <laughs> yeah. I Like I, I mentioned, I don't really like to clean much. And Unlike you, you mentioned that, you know, cleaning and getting things done is is a good way for your brain to figure things out. For me, it's just like being on freeze mode and just staying and in a quiet and nothing's happening. That's that's very soothing for me. So that's where I was. (laughs) I must say, seeing your Instagram and your social media as well, like you look like you've got a really beautiful garden and also a really beautiful dog. So especially earlier on, a lot of the images that you shared, like there really was a sense of soothing and a sense of kind of tranquility that came through. And then we had a conversation and you shared how like beyond all of those beautiful images that you were sharing, like the situation in the Philippines was actually really intense at that time. So I think that Mm -hmm. your ability to find calm within yourself and to share that is also something that's really like, even though it might feel like to you, you have just been not doing much. I think that Mm -hmm. you are sharing a lot of calming energy from that space. Well, thanks for for that. Yeah, and I think um, we did talk about that in a you know I think it was an Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And um, it that conversation actually made me pause and think if I was like glossing over the reality and my experience and in the folks. Do you know how social media works, right? Mm-hmm. You can always just present the good side. Um, so it. it made me pause and check, am I just presenting the good side of things and and really just denying the existence of of other things going on? But yeah, I think it's that was one of the things that really grounded me having that connection with either my practice and and being able to share little bits of my um, insights and and what's going on for me. And I think this stemmed from, um, if I might share, it um, was a gratitude journal practice that I started oh many years ago. And and that's when that when I started, that was really glossing over things. It was always just finding the silver lining of things and denying true feelings. But over time I did find that yes, you can still be grateful for something and, and to see things in a broader context without denying your true feelings. And that's what I try to convey in uh, my social media. But yes, I do have to say, uh, you know, when you have all the filters of Instagram and the cropping of, you know, positions, then you can have a very nice garden and a beautiful <laughs> space to present. <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because like we have this ability to share a facet of our reality and like you're saying, to cultivate gratitude, but also there's that other side of that, which is like that toxic positivity side, which is not acknowledging all the other aspects of our reality and just discerning for ourselves how much time and how much headspace do we want to put in either direction and it's so interesting that we've got this medium of the internet to share that sharing authentically sharing creatively yeah I don't have I don't know what my question is (laughs) interesting thing to think about we have this choice of to what aspect of our reality that we want to share and I wonder how that shapes our everyday perception of our own reality and how much we can get wrapped up in that yeah yeah I I mean, I don't know what your question was there either. Yeah, I, don't think it, well, I don't think it was a question. I think it was a statement. It was a it was yeah, amusing. more like an observation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's one of the things I've appreciated a lot about social media. So I'll also just go off tangent here, just saying something about my relationship with uh, social media. I've loved social media since the beginning, um, mainly because, you know, for someone who's quite introverted, social media gives me a space to to just connect with people with a safer distance, meaning I don't have to be physically in the same space, but I'm able to choose what I want to share and receive 
things that I'm willing to receive as well. So yeah, social media is a very interesting landscape. And this whole COVID situation has made me appreciate it even more. Because can you imagine if we had to go through this situation without these social networks or social Mm. connections, it must be very difficult, Mm. right? You don't even get information. You don't get ideas. You have no creative support, no social support, no emotional support. So so that's been a very um, eye-opening experience for me. And, And one of the things I think I've really appreciated in the past 34 days of being stuck at home, I've talked to so many people that I probably would not have spoken to if not for the situation. This, for example, I would never have imagined doing this. I'm going on a Facebook Live to teach a yoga class. Or, you know, I used to share still photos or, you know, choreographed photos of asana with some relative insights, hopefully, in it. But now I feel it's able, I'm able to be a little more real in it. And yeah, so this has really made the world feel somewhat smaller despite the broadness and the distance between all of us. And I must say the communities that I've really seen sharing the most inspiring and authentic stuff online is like the accessible yoga community and the positive yoga communities. Like Jivana has been so proactive about Mm. speaking to a lot of different people and Mm -hmm. sharing a lot of inspiring practices and even just creating this space where we as teachers can have a bit of support as we decide how to navigate all of this. Mm-hmm. Even before COVID-19, I feel like the body positive community and the accessible yoga community really used social media in a powerful way to kind of um, share representation and create community in groups that can often have a lot of isolation within them. So I think I still haven't come up with a question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I was following accessible yoga for quite some time in the body positive yoga communities for, for a long time now. And being a big yoga teacher here in the Philippines, I'm, I'm perhaps one of the few. So it's been quite a resource for me. And it's, I have to say, when you invited me to join in with a conversation with Giovanna, I was really, um, in Tagalog, we say kilig. Uh, there's no English translation for it. But the closest translation I can think of it was, you know, I was really super excited, like a fangirl. Ah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, you know, so that, that, that kind of feeling. So it made me really become more determined in getting the idea of accessible yoga and body positive yoga out here in my community. Uh, because I've, you know, I remember one time when I was still newer as a teacher, uh, I had a client, it was a private client and she had met me for the first time and she, she, she looked at me and said, uh, you're the yoga teacher. And I said, yes. And, and after a few minutes, she's like, you know, I'm really glad you're the teacher because I wouldn't have thought I could do this if not seeing you. So being able to make people or help people see a different side of the yoga practice outside of the you know the instagrammable model of what a yoga body quote-unquote looks like um, was a very great gift for me so yeah this this following these communities have given me really the the drive and inspiration to create more accessibility for people like me in the Philippines. Beautiful. Fantastic. I know a lot of people are are struggling over here, but just in the couple of conversations that we've had with you, uh, it's made me a lot more aware of the privilege we do have over here. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of wondering if there is anything that we can do here to help you guys. Oh, thank you for, for asking that. You know, just providing these online opportunities is really a big help for us. And, and getting the word out there that, hey, there's this community that exists and, and you know, maybe they can help them. That's, that's more than enough at the moment. But, you know, there I know you have a lot of yoga studios and yoga teachers online there as well who 
are probably in a similar boat as yoga teachers here. But, you know, there are a lot of, if you'd like to try out a yoga class from a Filipino teacher, there are a lot of resources or a lot of classes that you could jump into and maybe do a drop-in class or something that would be very helpful to a lot of us teachers here. And really just maybe sharing, sharing about our existence here because it's one of the things I and a dear friend of mine from another yoga studio have really been working towards is to really give value to our local teachers. In the Philippines, there seems to be more value given to a foreign-led teacher training or a foreign-led workshop rather than a locally a local teacher giving it. So that's something we've been working hard towards shifting, really recognizing that, you know, your local teachers are equally equipped, are also very great. So maybe sharing about that will be a good, uh, a big help. Yeah. And we'll put in, we'll get some links from you that we'll include with this episode so that people can find them easily and find your classes easily as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll send you those links and I'd, I'd really appreciate it. My yoga studio is called Yoga Plus. So we do have this Yoga Plus virtual studio going on. I think we're called Yoga Plus PH on Instagram. Beautiful. Well, I've got one more question. And sure. that is, if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core lesson, what do you think that one thing would be? Oh, that's such a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I think... The one thing I think that really is the most important learning that I've taken and I'd like to share to people is to just show up. Uh, it's easy to make to make reasons, to say that, hey, I don't think I'm fit enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. But if you just show up, you might be surprised at all the possibilities that are out there. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I love how it's a microcosm question as to just showing up on your mat or to your practice, but also a whole life Mm. attitude. Yeah, just show up to life. Mm, Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, so great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that was our conversation with Ria. I think Ria's doing amazing work and why not check out one of her classes online? As soon as Joe and I find some spare time, we definitely will. For our next conversation, we'll be speaking with writer, therapist and activist Matthew Remsky. I've been reading a lot of Matthew's recent posts on cult dynamics in yoga and in particular how these dynamics can play out in conspiracy discourse. There's been a lot of misinformation flying around recently, especially around COVID-19, so I was really keen to get Matthew's perspective. It's a really interesting episode, though some of the content might not make for easy listening, but look out for that one in two weeks' time. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I would like to honour the elders of these wisdom traditions of yoga and mindfulness from India and beyond, as well as honouring the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much for listening. Joe and I appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love.